For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to The Approach Shot, the golf show that's more laughs than links, more stories than strokes, more guffaws than golfers. Here are the hosts of The Approach Shot, John Ashton and Neil Michaels. And Diane once again introduces us, and we appreciate it. Everything goes downhill from here, at least for a while. <laughs> we are The Approach Shot. Just as she said, I am John Ashton. I'm Neil Michaels. Do you ever listen back no. to the shows and, no, no, and no. listen to her? I've done it the last couple of weeks. I've listened back over the last few shows, and I tend to stop after she talks and rewind it just to hear her introduce us. <laughs> it's been pretty cool. It is. She's pretty good. Yes. She might have a career in this business. I was going to say, she's. I think she's going to start doing it for a living. She might. Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, Super Bowl ended a week ago. Mm, two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And pitchers and catchers reported on the 14th. So the mm -hmm. Super Bowl was on the 11th. Mm -hmm. Pitchers and catchers reported on the 14th. That's mm -hmm. three days between football and baseball. You mm -hmm. asked a couple of weeks ago, hey, wasn't there a time where they expanded to 18 games so that there was a week in between? And it turns out the answer was yes, but they moved the Pro Bowl into the week in between. Right. That was the answer. <clears throat> so when I look at the calendar and I know things change, obviously, over time, but I remember when the Super Bowl was the second or third week of January and pitchers and catchers didn't report till the end of February and we didn't have 24-hour news cycles and sporting cycles so that we needed to know everybody's, you know, oh, we landed in Florida and we're going out and we're going to do some exercise. We didn't really care about spring training games. We cared about the mm -hmm. opening of baseball season. Right. So literally there was mid-January to the first day or the first week in April, that was that part of the sporting world that people were like, what are we going to do? There's no baseball. There's no football. Golf isn't really doing any big tournaments until the Masters, which is in March, April. So there was this gap there. And the NBA is going on and it's fine, but it's mid-season. So it was really nothing there. And that's when March Madness became a big deal because mm -hmm. it was filling the gap. Now we have literally three days between the Super Bowl and pitchers and catchers reporting. Yeah. A little crazy. Yeah, but that's, I mean, pitchers and catchers reporting, um, you know, it's it's almost as, as exciting as watching paint dry. The, well, I mean, true. It's watching, a, it's watching a game of catch. Big deal. But there, you know? but there's a, but now that there's a news cycle down there, you, somebody's going to stick a microphone in somebody's face and they're going to say yeah. something or do oh, something. Yeah. And then as we just discussed, you get through into February and then March madness hits and mm -hmm. opening day for baseball this year is March 28th. They're not playing in Minnesota. Thank God. Oh. But I do believe the Red Sox are playing at home on March 28th. Oh, jeez! The cold weather teams <laughs> should not have the no. opening games in, in no. their stadium. They should do, they should do what the colleges, the Northern colleges do. And with their golf teams, they sign up their golf teams for Southern tournaments, right? You know, the university of Illinois is playing in Florida and Alabama and Mississippi during the February and, and March season. Agreed. There, there's, you know, this is what the baseball team should be doing. Seattle Un until, until Fent, they tear Fenway park down and build a dome. <laughs> well, and you, know? you and I have talked about that Fenway park doesn't have a dome, but no. Atlanta does. Right, exactly. Explain that to me. <laughs> so Boston, Milwaukee, Minnesota, Seattle, Detroit, all should start on the road and have two weeks on the road mm -hmm. so that at least they come back and they stand a fighting chance of it being over, I don't know, 50 degrees. Yeah. I mean, do you know how uncomfortable it is sitting in one of those wooden seats at Fenway Park when the temperature is <laughs> below 40? It's almost like watching a football game. 
It is. Yeah. Exactly. It's, you know, they don't have frost delays in baseball well, games for some reason. And I know that that professional baseball players don't have this issue because they have gloves and stuff. But you remember mm-hmm. as a kid, especially when you were playing, you know, outside and you were in Maine or you were in Boston. I know those were later in your life, but and hitting a ball. Yeah. With a bat. Hand. And it gives you the, and you hit it and it just like buzzes your hands. Your hands tingle for hours. Oh, it's the worst feeling. I remember playing when I grew up in Maryland and we would play. And if you hit the bat right, it just made that sound and it was perfect. But Mm -hmm. if you were off just by a little bit, it made that sound and it just went up your arms and your hands buzzed for for hours. Uh You must be used to that though now because the same thing happens with a golf club. No matter what the temperature is, if you hit the the face of the golf club, if you hit the ball with the wrong part of the face of the golf club, you oftentimes get that vibration tingling up your arms. Very true. And, and then you know that maybe you should throw another ball down and go look elsewhere. <laughs> I would say that that I I I know that feeling, but I hit it that way so frequently that I just assume that's every shot. <laughs> <like> that. <laughs> We got to get some lessons for you, man. I know. I, you know what? I finally got to the point after the debacle in the desert. I was playing with these guys who were three and four handicaps, and I was playing so over my head. But I'm still hitting the ball 170, 180, 200 off the tee, and they're hitting it 280, 290. So mm-hmm. I'm 100 yards behind them, and I'm taking out a fairway wood, and I hit a great fairway. Even with all of that, I'm still playing two strokes her hole behind them. Right. And I'm 6'1", 215, 220 pounds. I ought to be hitting the ball farther than 170 to 180. So yeah. I, I know it's because I, I don't turn. I just, yeah. I pendulum swing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if I'm not going to use my lower half, it's probably not going to go very far. <laughs> <laughs> Neil swings like a pendulum do. <laughs> I think that is a song. I think Usher did that in the Super Bowl halftime show. Okay. <laughs> You'll swing like a pendulum do. Yeah. Bobby's on bicycles two by two. <laughs> yeah. I don't think so. I do think uh, I do think that when the weather gets a little bit nicer and we've got a little time, I am going to go out there and get some lessons because mm-hmm. there is nothing like having a professional show you what to do. Yes. And whether just, it's on the golf course or whether it's in business. Exactly. We're going to give you a little advice on something to do if you're in business. We could give you some advice on golf too, but that's this is neither the time nor the place. That's right. But if you have a business and you're looking to hire somebody, boy, do we have what you need to do to make it perfect. Indeed we do. Indeed is it. Talk to me. Tell me how we can make it their people's lives better. Well, you know, what Indeed does is they have a, is it data or database? I'm not Ooh, sure. I would say database. Database. Yeah. They maintain database of all of the people who are dealing with them, who have sent in resumes looking for a job. Mm-hmm. When you post a job opening, mm-hmm. well, immediately their algorithms go to and start matching you with people who are already in their system. What your fancy schmancy way of saying is that they, they do a better job matching an employee, a potential employee to an employer. Yeah, it's a matching engine. I mean, that's what it's designed to do. And they wow. have uh, 350 million global visitors Woo. monthly. Come on. No, monthly. 350 million people looking for work monthly. Out of that, you've got to have at least one or two that are perfect for what you're looking for. I would think. So what that means is you can get rid of all the busy work. You don't have to worry about scheduling interviews or screening or going through resumes or taking messages. You can connect with a candidate faster. They don't help you hire just faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. 93%, huh? 93%. I would suggest that maybe you follow their lead. You don't have to believe me. You can follow the lead of 93% of business owners or employers. And what you can do is just listen to me and get a deal. Okay. Because you're listening to this show, which makes you very smart to begin with. Mm. 
We're going to hook you up with a $75 sponsored job credit to get your job more visibility at indeed.com slash approach. Go to the head of the line or get you in the front row. Just go to indeed.com slash approach. Do it now. Support our show by saying you heard about it from us on this podcast. Indeed.com slash approach terms and conditions apply. So if you need to hire, you need indeed. Indeed you do. Gosh, I love the way you deliver that. You know, it's like you were an employer at one point and you actually knew. I know. <laughs> it, it, it really is. It really is incredible. We talk about this all the time that when you are talking about someone that you believe in, a company that you believe in, like we believe indeed, mm-hmm. it doesn't sound like we're delivering a commercial because we're not. We're talking about people that we know. Trust me, as a guy who ran a company that had 15 people, that was the worst part of my life was trying to hire the right people. And now, mm-hmm. thank goodness, Indeed is around and you can benefit from it. Indeed.com backslash approach. Get yourself a $75 job credit. And do it now. Yep. In fact, do it now and then come back really quick because if we got a guy for you to listen Ooh. So the Chiefs won the Super Bowl. Yes. So if we were really on top of things, mm-hmm. we would have somebody on our show that played for the Chiefs. Why don't we do that? Let's go out and find one. I got somebody for you. <laughs> Louis Aguiar, 10-year NFL professional, was a punter for the Jets, the Packers, the Bears, but spent most of his career, yeah, with the Chiefs. Hang out with us. We are the Approach Shot. And thanks for hanging out and welcome back. We are the Approach Shot. I am John Ashton. I am Neil Michaels and I am pretty darn excited today for our guest. So this is the guy you wouldn't tell me about. This this is the guy I wouldn't tell you about and you know why now. (laughs) Yeah, I know why now. (laughs) That's right. I did say there was a chance that we would get somebody who played for the Kansas City Chiefs Mm -hmm. on the show. Now, to be fair, we've had guys who have played some of their time with the Chiefs. Like Mark Collins played two years with the Chiefs. Mm -hmm. But people know him as a giant. We've had other guys that have been on the show that have played for a year or two defense, some offensive linemen, but never, with the exception of one guy, have we had a guy who is a Kansas City Chief through and through Mm-hmm. And even though I know Louis Aguiar, you have played with the New York Jets and you played with the Green Bay Packers and you played with the the Green uh, with the Chicago Bears, you are a Kansas City Chief. Yes, yes, I am. Um, <laughs> I played ten years in the NFL and I played uh, half my career with the Chiefs, so I am Chiefs through and through. Even though I grew up in San, uh, 45 minutes from San Francisco, I still root for my Chiefs over the Niners. That's what did it. Okay. <laughs> it's your responsibility. There you go. So I know, I know we are at this point past the Super Bowl and, and people have a tendency when the Super Bowl is over to take a big deep breath and be like, okay, let's just let it all sink in for a week or two. But what's the Super Bowl like at your house? It was just me and my dog. I People, you know, invited me over to go to different parties and I usually go, but anytime the chiefs are in the Super Bowl, I don't want to go anywhere because I don't want to be asked questions. I don't want to miss any of the game. I sat here on the couch. I made myself uh, some food, you know, just like all Super Bowl parties and watched the game with myself and my dog. And and I had a great time. Just, I didn't have to worry about anything, questions and I put my phone on uh, vibrate so I didn't have to listen to the phone. I just wanted to watch the game because I knew it was going to be a great game. Yeah. I didn't know it was going to be that great of a game. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Because if you had known that, then then we should be t- tapping into you for things like what's the lottery numbers tomorrow. Right. The big yeah. question is, who's your dog? Who did your dog root for? Uh, of course, the Chiefs. There you go. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, I've raised her right. She's 12 years old, so I've raised her right. <laughs> did you name her Chief? Uh, my first dog, I did. I didn't okay. name her Chiefs. I named him. I named. Uh, I named her Casey. K period. C period. Oh, okay. Um, so my first dog I had was a blue healer, and I named her Case Casey. And this one is actually Chica, 
a German Shepherd, and my two kids cannot come up with a name. I said, okay, she's a girl. We're going to call her Chica. And that right. name stuck. There you so, go. Yeah, we got a, a, a German Shepherd dog with the Mexican name. So it's pretty cool. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we got all kinds of mixing going on here. Yeah, we got all sorts of stuff going on. I had a blue healer. Her name was Casey. Whatever works. All right. So let's let's go back a few years to when you were coming out of high school. And oh, you said a few years. That's a few years. <laughs> a few years. <laughs> Trying to be nice here, Louie. Like 40 years ago. <laughs> let's go back. Way let's back. go back a few years. Let's go back a few years. I'm thinking, okay, back when I coached with the Jets. That's a few years. <laughs> but you Just know the high school was 40 years ago. The great thing about being guys our age is stuff that happened from then until now, we really don't remember much of. Go back to high right. school. Oh, yeah, I remember all that stuff. The stuff in between, maybe not so much. <laughs> all right. So you're you're standing on a pitching mound, throwing a ball 91 miles an hour. Yes. And I'm sure at that point, high school Louie is thinking baseball. Oh, yeah. I love baseball. That's the sport I wanted to play. And yet it didn't happen. I know why, but why don't you explain how that ended up going from a guy who could throw 91 in high school to not being a baseball player? Um, you know, I, growing up with three older brothers, they all went to Chabot Junior College. And so after my senior year of high school, I played football, I wrestled, I played baseball. I did that for four years of high school. Then my freshman year in college, I was recruited to go to Chabot Junior College in Hayward, California to go and punt kick off, kick field goals. And uh, I did that and I got recruited to play baseball. So I did that. And I also wrestled my freshman year. I, and then my sophomore year, um, I played football and I got all the, I got a, you know, a few scholarship offers and I had three older brothers in college and to help my mom and dad out, because none of them were on scholarship, I took the football scholarship to help my mom and dad out, and I ended up going to Utah State, and that that's where I, you know, stuck with football, and it and it paid off. It really, really did. That's fantastic. And Utah State, not a bad school. I mean, no, we've had a lot of good players come out of there. A lot of good players come out of there. So you still have the arm, but now you're you're kicking, and. When you got into the NFL, I know there was some some time in between, but when you got into the NFL, you get in with the Jets. Was there any part of you that after you realized you had made the team and you're going to be the guy that you go up to the coach and you're like, let me throw the ball, let me throw the ball? Um, No, I showed him out there at practice. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say anything. I would, you know, instead of punting the ball, I would throw the ball down there and they're all, you can throw the ball. I'm all, yeah. <laughs> I threw 91 and, you know, high school and junior college. So I would, you know, and so we never really put anything in with the Jets. Uh, with the Chiefs, they did. They I put in uh, a fake pass that made it look like a punt. Uh, and uh, that worked out really well. Kevin Lockett caught the ball and got tackled with the one. And with my other two teams, the Green Bay Packers and Chicago Bears, they never – we never put any fakes in. Why, I don't know. Um because I also played quarterback in high school. So I thought, you know, I would have a chance to do something like that. If if our, anybody who's listening right now wants to see what he just talked about, because I was going to make a whole big deal about that. In 1997, we were playing with the Chiefs. You're playing against Seattle. And there was a fake punt that was called. Louie gets the ball, and he drops back like a quarterback, not like a punter, and throws the ball. 50 yards in the air, not 20 yards. And a guy ran 30 yards. He threw the ball from the 50 yard line to the one yard line where Kevin Lockett jumped as high as anybody has ever jumped right. got over these guys and comes down at the one. That's a 50 yard in the air throw. My friend, you didn't cheap yes. it out at all there. Did you? Well, and I had to actually, <laughs> I had to hold back on it because the farthest, you know, I would throw the football in practice and the farthest I could throw the ball uh, that I remember was 75 yards in the air. Mm. So I could, you know, I would act like I was playing quarterback. You know, I would, 
you know, I'd take the snap and I'd drop back and I'd throw it from the 25. The farther I throw, I could throw it from the 25 to the goal line. So the farthest I could throw was 75 yards. I, I think I remember hearing in an interview that you had done that back then there were only probably a handful, and I mean a small handful, of quarterbacks that could throw the ball as far as you could, Brett Favre being one of them. Do you remember Correct. the others? Were there others? Uh, the only other one I that I actually played with, one was Favre, and the other one was Brownie Nagel. Mm-hmm. Brownie Nagel, could, he, could, he had a cannon. I couldn't keep up with him at practice. We both came in to the Jets together in 91, and, you know, I thought I had a pretty good arm. He could out throw me almost. This kid has a cannon. <laughs> yeah, but he, he couldn't outkick you, so that works out no, <laughs> So if we did a punt passing kick, I think I would do pretty good. There you yeah. go. Yeah, you would. So yeah. here's the here's the thing that, that kind of blows my mind, and I think anybody who is watching the NFL now looks back at somebody like you and thinks – Wow, that was a lot more talent that was needed back then because you were not only the punter, but you did all the kickoffs. And virtually nobody does that anymore unless the place kicker gets hurt. Correct. Um, You know, a lot of guys now, they specialize in, you know, just punting. Uh, You got the guys who kick off. I mean, the kick field goals kick off. You know, back then – you know, we had a few more guys that could, you know, punted that also kicked off. Uh, I mm-hmm. grew up playing soccer, so I was a goalie in soccer. I played right halfback, so I always grew up, you know, punting the ball, kicking the ball. Uh, so I could do it and not have a problem with it. I still remember when we were playing Denver. I'm trying to think. I can't remember what year it was. But uh, Jason Elam pulled his groin in warm-ups. And then Tommy Ruin went to go kick off for him. He and then he pulled his groin oh boy. on the opening <laughs> kickoff because he never kicked off. And then there's me. I could, you know, we're in training camp in '94. Uh, Lynn Elliott uh, pulled, tweaked his groin a little bit, and they said, "Okay, Lou, you're going to kick field goals today." I'm like, "Okay." I just went out and did it. I said, "Well, I'm holding. Who's going to hold for me?" <laughs> and they. Uh, well, we never thought about that. I'm all, <laughs> and then we're out of practice, and they go, "Hey, we need a holder." And here comes Joe Montana. I got a legend who held for Ray Warshie <laughs> holding for me in practice. I go, "Man, this is pretty cool." Maybe I'll become a kicker. Well, now I'll stick with punting. <laughs> See, and but, that's you how know, you-, you know I could place kick, and you know my first place kick attempt in the NFL was called back because we had a guy lined up in the backfield. It was a 51-yarder up in uh, – I was playing with the Jets in 91. Pat Leahy was injured, mm-hmm. and Bruce Kozik called field goal, and I went out there and hit a 51-yarder. And we had a, our right ta- our right tight end was lined up in the backfield, so they moved it back five yards, and then we ended up throwing a Hail Mary there at the end of the half. So that was my first attempt, and I made it. And so I was all excited. You know, it was pretty cool. And, you know, how confident a guy do you have to be to be like, oh, Montana's coming out to hold for me. How cool. Yeah. As opposed to, oh, my gosh, I better not mess up here and end up <laughs> put my spikes through the back of this guy. It'll be the don't, end of the Don't kick career. his fingers, man. <laughs> right. You know, and Joe had unbelievably quick hands. He was a darn good holder. And like I said, he held for Warshing when he was playing with the Jets when he was a backup to Steve DeBerg. And then mm-hmm. even when he became the starter, Ray Warshing wanted him to – Keep holding, so he kept holding until uh, Ray Warshin retired. And Joe's hands were so quick because he also had a – coming out of high school, he also had a basketball scholarship. So he he was really good with his hands. I bet you that quick. turns into something better. I bet you at some point yeah. that kid turns into something. You think yeah. so? <laughs> yeah. Hey, you also have a bit of a reputation of being a badass. I guess – I yeah, I do. You know, I like to <laughs> – I like that because – I used to hit people and make tackles, yeah. and uh, Mike Jones, who made the game-saving tackle for the Rams in the Super Bowl, what was that nine? What was that two thousand? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was in two thousand, I believe. Super Bowl two thousand was the season of ninety-nine when Warner came in and played quarterback for him. Mm-hmm. I was at training camp with the Rams in two thousand. I got cut, got picked up by Chicago, but I was in training camp. It was nineteen ninety-seven. Yeah, because Stanovich was with us. So it was 1997. I watched film, you know, being a punter, and I always watched tons of film 
because I always want to know, okay, where the return was coming or where were, you know, the return on kickoff, where was the block, where, where, where do they like to send the blocks from on punt? So I watched a ton of film when I was playing and I saw that. I go, I see, I see this kid chipping, always chipping, you know, the right side, RR3, and going across the field. So I kept watching film. I didn't know who it was. And I just kept watching film. Okay, if this kid chips the three, he's coming across my face. He's coming for a blindside block. So I, I went up and nailed him. And, <laughs> and it was a Monday night football. And Deerdorf just went off on it. Just go, look at this. Louis Ager, the punter, taking out Mike Jones, a linebacker. No, no, no. <laughs> it, was just, it was awesome. And then I'm in training camp, you know, three years later. I'm sitting there stretching. And next thing you know, my helmet gets kicked and goes flying down the uh, practice field up in uh, Macomb, Illinois. I look up. I'm all, what was that for? And there's this guy with these huge arms. And he goes, Monday Night Football. I go, that was you. That was you. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was me. Everybody on the Rams goes, what was that all about? I said, well, Monday Night Football about three years ago, he chipped the R3, and I watched it on film. And so I came up and hit him so he couldn't blindside block one of our guys. I, I took him out on Monday Night Football. And then the next week, we're playing Buffalo. And Buffalo had the center on the front line blocking me. And I'm all, why are you guys blocking me? Well, Bruce Haven says you're a heck of an athlete. So, and he saw you take out Jones. So we're talking like this while we're, while the play was going on because the kids blocking me. And I'm all, I go, I'm a punter. He goes, No, <laughs> Haven really had a lot of respect for you. We got to block you all game. Come on. Come on. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't think you so, can do that. Yeah, I don't think. I used to love making tackles, and you know, when I played, I was six three, two twenty five, and I love making tackles because they don't expect it out of a, a, a punter, right, you know, because yeah. they don't very rarely, you know, I love McAfee because he would go up and hit somebody, but there's only a handful of guys that would do that. No one else would do that. And I just, I felt like I was the 11th guy on the field. They get to me. I got to make the tackle. Louie, you can't on the one yeah. hand, take on a linebacker and knock him on his ass. And then the next week when Buffalo's blocking you say, don't, don't block me. I'm just a well, punter. Well, why are you blocking me? I'm a punter. They go, well, we saw what you did last week. Come on, man. Well, come on. When your reputation precedes you, man. Yes. Yes, Louis it did. So after that, I got blocked quite often after that. You can imagine. Louis Aguilar is our guest right here. We've got some questions about some other sports we'd like to delve into, but we're going to take a quick break first and then come right back. We are the approach shot, so hang out with us. Hey, it's Neil, and if you're like most people, you enjoy a good cup of coffee. Well, I've just found a new product to put in my coffee that has a ton of awesome benefits called For Wellness. You've got to check this out. Their best-selling product, The Good Stuff, is a performance coffee supplement that supercharges the natural benefits of your brew with just one scoop. You'll enjoy better focus, reduce the caffeine jitters, increase your collagen, and support fat burning. The good stuff helps you ditch the bad stuff, too, like sugar, dairy, and artificial creamers. Four Wellness was founded by this guy I think you might have heard of, Phil Mickelson, and his world-renowned performance coach, Dave Phillips. They joined forces to create simple, delicious ways to get high-quality functional ingredients into your body as part of your daily routine. If you drink coffee, it's time to give For Wellness a try. Head over to forwellness.com backslash approach and use approach for 25% off your order. That's right, 25% off. Once again, that's forwellness.com backslash approach for 25% off. And make sure you use our promo code approach so they know we sent you. Forwellness.com and for is spelled F-O-R. I see you follow directions well. You hung out with us and you're still here. We are still the approach shot. I am John Ashton. <laughs> I'm Neil Michaels with Louis Aguiar is with us. Still, are you still sporting the uh, the party in the back? There you go. <laughs> Not as long as when I play, but I still have it. <laughs> yes, I do. I go to Kansas City and they go, that went out a long time ago. I said, yeah, but I'm, hey, I go, guys, I have hair, hair, so I'm going to show it off. Because a lot of guys yeah. who I played with, they're all bald. And I'm all, at least I got hair, guys. <laughs> there you well, go. I'll take the party in the back. Yeah, <laughs> I got to tell you, John tells, we, we talk about that all the time. John's got this beautiful head of hair. I'm working on a six head. So, you know. <laughs> 
We understand. We understand. If you got it, flaunt it, my friend. Heck yeah. I, yeah. Hey, yeah. So when, when you get out there and you're playing golf and you have the hat on, are you flapping in the back when you're when you're driving? When you get up? Oh, yeah. The- when I was younger, when I had all that hair, I could feel <laughs> flapping. Yeah. So talk about your golf game a little bit. How often do you get out these days? Not as often as I'd like to. You know, that's every golfer. You know, I try to get out at least during the summer once once a week, try to get out twice a week after work. Not as much as I did when I was playing. I was getting out four and five days a week on the off season. Mm. Uh, but, you know, I still like to go out and, you know, go out with uh, guys who I used to coach, who I coach high school football with and go out and tee it up and have a good time just to get on out. You know, I don't hit the ball as far as I used to. Uh, I can actually find the balls now because I don't, I don't hit them two fairways to the right. I don't have to yell eight anymore. <laughs> and they're all, why are you yelling eight? Because I go, I'm two pair ways to the right, guys. <laughs> That's classic. That's going on a bumper sticker. Yep. <laughs> sure. I, you know, I, lo- I love going out and playing golf. Anytime I used to, the lowest I ever got when I was playing football was I got down to a nine handicap. And now mm-hmm. I play to an 18 and. I still think that's respectable at age 57. Yeah. So I have a good time. Go out and have a good time. Reason we are supposed to go out and play. I used to play four and five days a week on the off season. Now I'm getting out. I try. I'm hoping I, I'm happy to get out once a week at four times a month. And I don't yeah. even, sometimes I get out once a month. Mm-hmm. So I just go, you know, I can't get mad anymore. I just got to go out and have fun. And that's, that's, that's the thing, man. When you don't play consistently, you can't play consistently. I mean, Correct. You know, right. You got to just do it for the fun of it, man. And, and laugh Correct. at yourself. That's it. Right. I love playing in charity golf tournaments because if I hit a bad shot, I got three, four other guys that can pick me up. Yep. So, I mean, I, I love playing in charity. So that way it's like, okay, I can swing away. And, you know, it's not the 320 to 340 like I used to. Now I'm, you know, I'm happy to go 270 to 280. So I'm, I'm still doing well. Well, you know, the average drive, Louis, is 205. Right. I'm so- so but you still, team. you know, you still have that macho image. Oh, sure. Pulled, you know, and I the guys who with, play with you expect it too, because you're an athlete. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, when I, guys, yeah, they go, oh, yeah, you played football. You know, you're supposed to be a good golfer. I'm all not that much anymore. <laughs> I buy the cheap balls. I know I'm going to lose them. <laughs> you know, if you were just a regular punter who didn't tackle people, you'd probably be happy with 205. Right. Correct. (laughs) Correct. My brother, my oldest brother, 60, I'm 57. He's 63. And he goes, yeah, he goes, I'm happy to hit the ball. He goes, I don't need new clubs. He goes, I'm just happy to hit my drive 190 to 200 right down the middle. Yeah. Yeah. I'm all, he goes, how far do you hit it? So I said, I'm still about 270, 280. You know, if I can get a good roll, you know, downhill, wind behind me, I can still get it out there at 300. But yeah, I'm just get it 270. I'm happy. Just keep in the fairway. Yeah, but what you just said, that 270 is 200 out and 70 to the right, right? Correct. <laughs> okay. I didn't specify what it was. Yes. I think this and is now the time. I'm going to feel four because that's only one fairway to the right now. <laughs> I think we need to get you a set of balls with GPSs on them. I think that would help a lot. What's, yes. the, best part of, what's the best part of your game these days? None of it. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, my, you know, when I was younger, I could hit the ball a ton. Um, like I said, I used to, you know, hit it. I used to be able, I mean, I would go try out golf clubs, uh, drivers and they're all, you know, I, I was told a few times that I had the same swing speed as tiger, but I never knew what his swing speed was when I was playing, you know, 20 years ago, when I back 25, when I was playing ball back 25 years ago, that would put me about nine, 1999. And when tiger was coming, they said, you know, you had his swing speed. So I don't know what that was, but all I know is I was with Derek Thomas and I drove his green. That was 350. So mm. that was that was kind of nice. Yes, so, indeed. Yeah. I mean, I used to be able to hit the ball a long ways. Now it's like I constantly, I, my, when I was younger, I would try and kill the thing, put it, get it on the green. Now I know I can't do that. So I've really worked on my putting a lot more. I got to make the putts because I'm not hitting, I'm, yeah. Instead of hitting pitching and sand wedges in the greens, three, four, five irons in the greens now. So it's, you know, you really got to work on your putting now. I know you said something about macho-ness uh, earlier, but have you moved up any tees to get closer? Yes, I went from the tips to the one up. Okay. When I turn 60, I'll probably in three in two and a half years, I know I'm going to go to the whites. Go the next one, yeah. My, my three older brothers, they all play from the whites, so we'll just all yeah. play together. Yeah. I had, I had a buddy tell me that uh, 
what you should do is play from whatever tees you can hit your second shot about 150 yards in from. Correct. You know, yeah. I play with a uh, gentleman, Dave Hopper. He's re- he's a retired teacher. He's 70. He plays from all, he plays all the way from the golds. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, it's hard for us to play because, you know, he has to drop me off and he drives a hundred yards up to his tee box. And so yeah. it's like, I just got to start moving. I can't play this summer. I don't, I'll play, I'll probably won't wait until I'm 60. Just move up to the whites yeah. and just so I can get closer to my friends. Because I don't need to be way back there. That's the beauty of golf, though, man. This, so that that somebody who is a professional athlete or has been a professional athlete can compete with somebody who's 70 years old and was a teacher. Right. And you know, you know we mean, coach, yeah. It equalizes, man. Right. We can we coach high school football together, and he and I are you know, best friends, we go play, I go play golf with him one to two. We try to get out at least one day a week together. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, that's just like, okay, I get off work. We meet at the golf course and go play, you know, we go play nine holes and it doesn't matter what the age we can always, we just go out and have fun. You know, yeah. we play it, we play, we call it a, a shamble. So I'll, t- whoever has the best tee shot, we go to there and then we play our ball from there if we have four people, if we have four people, we take the best tee shot from the four of us, and then we have teams of two, two and two, and then we play best. Then we play two man scramble from there to the green. Have, so, have you heard yeah. the, the new idea I was reading about uh, with a shot called a Gilligan? It's when you play in a in a competitive situation with a foursome, you get like one Mulligan per side, but everybody gets one Gilligan per side, which means that I can basically negate a shot that you took. So if we're playing for money and you hit a great shot, unless it hits the stick or goes in, I can say, no, that doesn't count. Do it again. That would be awesome. Isn't it great? Yeah. I think we need to start implementing that. I had never heard of that. I just was reading about it last week, man. I went, that is a cool idea. That is. Yeah. Yeah. Make a better name. Than yeah. Gill, uh, Gilligan from Gilligan's Island, who was always yeah. out there in left field, better name right. to use. Well, it's kind of like ice in the kicker. Yeah, yeah. He, he just hit it from fifty-one. Make him do it again. Yeah, Let's see right. if he can do it a second time. Yeah. Nowadays, yeah, I can't do it a second time. I'm happy to do it once around. <laughs> so, were you were you surprised to see the record broken twice Sunday night? Yes, I was. Okay. I didn't think that anybody would go from 57 yards out during the Super Bowl because if he misses, the other That's, team's only, you know, you know, didn't matter. They only have to go 50 yards, 50, yeah. 53 yeah. yards for a touchdown. Yeah. yeah. So I, that took a lot of cojones from <laughs> Andy Reid to, to call that. Yeah. yeah you know, did. 57 yarder, because now you've got to rely on your defense and, that was that was something else, yeah. you know. Yeah, I got the record, fifty-five yards. Uh, <laughs> not bad, kid. Yeah. Not bad work. Now you get to see me do it, you know, exactly. two yards farther back. <laughs> I absolutely love that that Mahomes in the trophy presentation afterward mentioned Harrison Butker and said he could kick it from seventy, which it looked like he probably could have. Well, on one yes. of the kickoffs, he put it through the uprights, didn't he? He did. He hit, he hit the upright like yeah. halfway up and it goes doink. You could hear it on TV. <laughs> yeah. I was like, geez, these guys nowadays are just hammering the ball. Yeah. And did you get the feeling as a Chiefs fan? Because I'm a Cowboys fan first and then a Chiefs fan. Did you get the feeling once we got into the late fourth quarter and you saw the offense start to roll that it just didn't matter what was going to happen, that Patrick would somehow find a way? He always has. He's done it numerous times. The Chiefs have always come back in the fourth quarter to come back and win, whether it be, you know, every Super Bowl they played in or the playoffs, they always find a way to come back. You never count Mahomes out. Yeah, ever. Mm-mm. I was watching the pregame, 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 <laughs> you know, six hours before. And I noticed that DraftKings was doing something, you know, you can bet on anything. One of the things that you could bet on was would somebody hit the uprights during the game? And nobody did while they were attempting a field goal. But since, as you mentioned, John, since Butker kicked off and it doinked off of a off the goalpost, I wonder if that counted. Yeah, because they didn't specify. No, that's true. They didn't. You Next could also, year, by the they way, will be much more specific. I bet that's you. Right. <laughs> they also, you could also bet on the color of the Gatorade. Which to me was like, wait a minute, 
if I'm the guy who's doing the equipment stuff and I bet, you know, and I see the odds, <laughs> I'm going to go bet a thousand dollars that it's purple. Cause I'm the one who's putting the thing in there. Right. I never thought about that. <laughs> Just to That's pretty smart. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I mean, we should check to see if the equipment guy came back to work on Monday or not. <laughs> if he didn't, we know why. We right. <laughs> I think it's time for us to take one more quick break and come back with a six pack for Mr. Aguiar. What do you think? I think Sounds that's a good idea. I think we're all going to come back to work. Here. Expect in golf is always perfect. You need it. We'll be right back. We are the approach shot. Hang out. And we are here poised on the brink of six fantastic questions aimed at our guest, Louis Aguilar. We are the Approach Shot. I'm John Heston. I'm Neil Michaels. And yeah, Louis, look at that look on your face. Oh, I thought they met a real six pack. <laughs> <laughs> oh, darn it. No, sir. That would have gone really good with the pretzels with the peanut butter that you're eating, though. Heck yeah, that would have there been perfect. Go. I had to have my pregame, you know, going on. So yeah, the peanut butter pretzels, it was perfect. Gotta love that. Well, it's a different six pack. This six pack is six pack of questions. We're going to fire at you really fast. Well, we say that, but it never works out that way. And um, <laughs> we do want you to give us the first answer that comes to mind. No hemming and hawing. If you hem or haw, I've never heard anybody haw, but if you do, you'll hear, and that just means, come on, speed it up. We know you're cheating. You down? All right, let's try this. Question one, you're a true lover and student of the game. So if you had the chance to have a beer and talk football with anyone at any time in history, who would it be and why? Jim Thorpe. Oh, look at what he did there. Not and that true was a football player, but a great athlete all around. Jim Thorpe. Uh, easy as I mean, he played football, he was in the Olympics, you know, he was probably one of the greatest athletes ever to play. And I would love to sit down and talk to him. And how did he become such a great athlete and to be the best at whatever he did? Great answer, love it. Never had anybody answer that that way. All right, question two your most memorably bad golf shot. Does it have to be this year? No, <laughs> no, the, the, the better the story, the more we like it. <laughs> okay. I was playing in a golf tournament for the FCA here in town. I was playing with, um, uh, Rick, I'm trying to think of uh, Rick Horton, uh, used to uh, play for the Cardinals. I'm playing mm -hmm. with him and we had this other guy, he goes to tee off, he topped the ball. Well, come on, man. You got to hit it past the ladies' tee. Well, I go to tee off, and I didn't warm up. I got there just in time to get in my cart with uh, Rick and take off. And so I like to have fun. I'm talking smack. I hit, I This guy hit it, hit the top. I don't even know if it went more than five feet. I teed off, and my ball hit the, my toe and went dead right. I didn't even make it. It stayed behind the tee box where the the blocks where we were staying. So yeah, that was that's pretty. And the guy looked at me and goes, "Oh, you're talking smack." Well, not no more. <laughs> so wait, the guy who hit the ball five feet out drove you? Yes, he did. <laughs> so yeah, that was that was my that was probably my worst shot uh, worst shot ever. Yeah, <laughs> it is nice to know that that will stick in your mind forever. <laughs> All right, question three, and we kind of went over this. I'm sure that people ask you all the time about your most memorable punt or memorable kickoff, but we're a little different here on the approach shot. Other than the one we talked about, what is the tackle that you are proudest of? I was with Green Bay, mm -hmm. and Deion Sanders came up to me before the game. He goes, hey, Aggie, yeah, Prime? He goes, you're going to pump me the ball? I said, Prime, you run a 4-2, I run a 4-8. You do the math. <laughs> and he starts laughing and, uh, and he was actually injured. He was, he actually had a little twinge in his hamstring that, that week. And so they actually put a rookie back there and I hit a punt to my left outside the numbers. I hit, I hit a 52 yard punt, five, uh, four, eight. The kid runs it back, catches it, runs straight to their sidelines and up the field. And so I'm tracking, I'm running. I got a beat on them. I make the tackle on their sidelines and prime comes up to me, he goes, Hey, Aggie, won't you ever punt the ball to me like that? I looked at him as I'm laying on top of the kid. I go, <laughs> he would have scored. He got tackled by a punter prime. 
<laughs> prime goes, Hello, rookie. Your ass is going to my meetings. I can see a prime. You see Aggie. <laughs> oh, that's great. I'm so glad we asked that. All right. Question four. Other than you, who had the best mullet you've ever seen? Oh, gosh. Um, Jared Allen. No way. Really? He had a mullet. He had a pretty good mullet when he was playing with playing with the Chiefs. Yeah, no, Back you're right. After, that was after I left. I'm yeah. I'm thinking of when he played in Minnesota. I don't remember it. After yeah. Minnesota, when he went to Minnesota, he cut. He uh, he got. He went to a short haircut. Cut it. Okay, so I I didn't know that. Now see, yeah. everybody everybody's going to get on YouTube and go. Jared <laughs> Allen mullet. Yeah, because he always wore his cowboy hat and he had the hair hanging out the back. Yeah, very nice. All right. Question five, you only had one punt block your entire 10-year career, which is incredible, by the way. So kudos for that. So you're a guy a team can count on. What can the other members of your foursome count on when they play with you in a scramble? We're going to have fun. I want to make jokes. My golf game may not be on, but I'm going to be talking the whole time, having a good time, and just telling jokes and having a great time because that they're in these charity events are, you know, they pay to play with somebody and we're going to have a good time. Cause I've mm-hmm. heard other groups say, man, this guy didn't even talk to us the whole time. Me on the other hand, I never shut up. <laughs> yeah. When, when you play in a charity scramble and like you say, you pay the money to play with, with yeah. somebody you want to leave after 18 walking off considering you made a friend. Yeah. That you and know I, this guy, man. Yeah. I tell them my whole life story. I told I have Latino descent from on my mom's side so I'll tell Mexican jokes and, you know, have a good old time. And, you know, eight, next thing you know, we're just like, shoot, eight, after the whole, they're all, hey, you come sit with us and eat. I'm all okay. Yeah. You know, we just sit there and talk and have a good time. I mean, that's, I mean, you may not get my good, my best golf that day, but you're going to get a lot of jokes and have a good time. I think that's, that's a win. That's what they're there for, man. That's what yes, we go for. Really that's is. it. Yep. Well, and uh, John, you had said this a, a, a few shows ago. So let's, let's go the other direction. Let's say you don't have a good time. But you win. Okay, so you want a $100 gift card for the pro the shop. shop. Yeah. You're going to go get, you know, six pack of balls and a new glove. I'd yeah. rather spend 18 holes cracking up with Louie. Yeah, me too. Yeah. You, know, you look would. at my jerseys behind me. You know, I have uh, Brian Jordan's jerseys. I won at a raffle at his golf tournament about 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. And last year I was playing his golf tournament. And I got to hang out with Charles Barkley. And he was freaking hilarious. You know, the, the thing started <laughs> late, so he was in the group in front of me, so or two groups in front of me, but our carts were next to each other. And for a half hour, 45 minutes, he was he was nonstop talking, telling jokes, having a good old time, and I'm all he's a lot of fun. So <laughs> yeah, that, you know, that was cool. Yeah, that was really cool. Still have you the know, weirdest like, golf swing on the planet. Yes, he still does. <laughs> but hey, it doesn't matter how we swing, just as long as we have fun. That's right. <laughs> That's usually what people with a weird twink says. Yes. <laughs> and, and question six, and we ask this of everybody who comes on the show, since we are the approach shot, Louis Aguiar, what, in your approach to life, what one rule do you live by? Treat everybody the way you should treat your parents. Mm. Oh, that went, that went a different direction at the end there. I thought you were going to say treat yeah. everybody the way you want to be treated or something cliche. Ooh, I like that with the parents. I like because my mom, my dad's 90, my mom's 84. When we go out, you know, I expect my kids to open the door for them, just like mm-hmm. I did. I expect my kids to open the door when we go. I, you know, I live in Illinois. My parents live in California. I take my kids to the grocery store and I see an older couple in front of me. I tell my kids, go open the door, go open the door. Cause if you're going to do it for your grandparents, you're going to do it for these people. Try and treat everybody like, I want my parents to be treated. You know, one of the proudest days of my life was coming out of the grocery store. My grandson, who was 14 at the time, saw an older woman pushing a shopping cart and ran over to her and asked if she wanted some help getting her groceries into her car. Right. And I've seen my son do that. Yeah. Yeah. Without me even having to say a word to him. And that's how they kids are supposed to be uh, brought up. You You see too many people that are too much in a hurry. And I always tell my kids, uh, now I don't even have to say it. Now my, my youngest son's 16, my oldest son's 25, and I have a 20-year-old daughter. They know when they see me, 
walking in somewhere, and I all, all I gotta do is just look at them. They know. Go open the door. Yeah, I want people to. I want. I treat people the way my. I want. I treat my parents. I love it. That's beautiful. You are off the hot seat, my friend. Thank you for that. Well done. Oh, anytime. That was fun. <laughs> well, we're going to have to make it up to him, and we're going to have to invite him to come play golf and provide him with a real six pack. I'll bring pretzels. <laughs> yeah, cool. You do that. Costco has the best. Uh, Costco's peanut butter pretzels are really good. There you yes, go. They are. <laughs> hey, um, I I promised you we wouldn't get too deep into this because you know we like to have a good time here. Your career ended um and you had a fight with testicular cancer and um how are you feeling how's it going what's the latest on you yeah i had testicular cancer back in 1998 uh found out found it on a monday i was on operating table on a wednesday and uh i haven't had any symptoms since then that's fantastic so think i mean uh you know i've had two more kids since then because my my then wife at the time was pregnant with my eldest son who's 25 and I had two I had two more kids after that right. so uh everything, everything worked was out in it. working order right it's a young yeah. man's disease and after I had the cancer I started a high five foundation there in Kansas City to yep. uh raise awareness to it to testicular cancer because not too many people know that it's a young man's disease between age 20 and 40. So when I was playing with the Chicago Bears, I actually got to meet uh, Mr. McCaskey because he was the you know the owners back when Brian Piccolo passed away. Mm-hmm. And Brian Piccolo had testicular cancer, breast cancer, brain cancer, and he had two other cancers. I can't remember the other two Jeez. off the top of my head. Wow. But they raised, they found the cure for testicular cancer because of Brian Piccolo dying from it. So when I played for the Bears, I got to thank Mr. McCaskey for saving my life and finding the cure for testicular cancer. So everything goes around in circles. And I was very blessed to be able to go up there and thank him for saving my life, for finding the cure for testicular cancer. I, it was as one thing I really, really cherish in my 10-year career that I find I got to meet the man that helped raise money to find the cure that saved my life. Well, that just ended this on a phenomenal note. <laughs> I I really, I'm fighting the urge, but John, you, you can't mute me. So I don't ever want to joke about something like this, but you have such a great attitude about it that I think it's safe to say that you kicked it. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. You know, I would yeah. give my left nut for that, but I can't do that now. Ah, okay. <laughs> I don't know if that's he edited out or not, but Ooh, yeah, no, we're leaving that in. I, I, can't that I can't say that anymore. Hundred percent stays. If I'm going to go for a, if I'm going to be shy about a stupid joke, you can absolutely do that. <laughs> so, Louie, thank you for joining us. And and Chiefs next year, are we going to see a three-peat? I'm hoping they have Let's the see. team if they can keep the core together. As long as you have Mahomes, Andy Reid, and Spags, anything can happen. There you yeah. go. Well, except for now, because we've been having a lot of fun, but it's time for us to end it, Louis. We have to apologize. We have to hang it up. We we got to stop. (laughs) I really enjoyed my time with you guys. Thank you for finding me and asking me to be on here. This is a privilege for me to be on here with you guys. And I can't thank you enough for, like I said, you guys finding me and taking the time out of your day to talk to me about golf and sports and my family. I greatly, greatly appreciate it. Well, it was a privilege for us, Louis, definitely. Indeed, we might have to do it again sometime. We, now we know what time I enjoy doing these things. I'm not shy, as you can tell. Yeah, can tell. and we're serious too about you know we'll try to get you somewhere on a golf course somewhere, and and the beer is on Neil. So. Great, done. So yeah, I'm in Illinois. I'm not sure where you guys are at. We'll have to meet up somewhere. Yeah, there you go. Perfect. Yeah. Well, I'm close. I'm in Kentucky. He's on the West Coast, but he's got frequent flyer miles. I think so. Louis Aguiar, thanks for joining us today on the Approach Show. My pleasure. Thank you. And we are back again, man. The dude is fun. We have got to get him out on the golf course because he would be a trip to play golf with. Exactly what you said while we were talking with him. There are times where you go out to a charity event, and and I've done a number of these, and so have you as a radio Mm -hmm. person, where... The person you get hooked up with is so serious and wants to win that you really don't get to know them and you really don't have a good time. Somebody like Louie 
when you're done with your four, four and a half hours out there hitting the ball and laughing and having a good time, you walk away from that thinking, I just met one of the coolest people and he was so down to earth and it was so much fun. Yeah. That makes all the difference. One of the things we, we talked to Donnie most about a month ago now, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. And I met him and something he said triggered it because it was a memory that I had not remembered immediately, but he played golf in Fuzzy Zeller's golf tournament. He had an annual tournament at his course right across the river in Indiana mm -hmm. from Louisville. And it was called the Wolf Challenge. And the Wolf Challenge is a special kind of betting game that I really don't understand. But somebody takes a shot and you decide if you're going to play their ball with them or play against them or so very convoluted. Okay. But it was fun as hell. Really? I, I, I never knew what was going on. I go, <laughs> what are you going to do? Johnny? I don't know. You know, what, what the heck? We're not going to win this anyhow. Let's just have some fun. Right. And, and that's what we did. And, and, you know, the format be damned. Who cares? You know, who even, we didn't hear who shot it was. Who's hitting this ball? Is this, are we playing our own balls or do we play the best show? You know, because somebody, the, the lone wolf would play their own ball and then everybody else would play like a scramble. And it was so confusing, but it was fun. And that's where I met Donnie most the first time, man. And, you know, uh, he was great. It, it, it was fun. And, and those indelible impressions stay forever. I can tell you that I have no memory of what tournament this was, how it happened, whatever it was. But I remember just I, when I got into radio and I got into a foursome and it was me, two guys who I don't remember and Fred couples. And, <laughs> and he played with us for a, a couple of holes and then they rotated through. Mm -hmm. And we got onto this 170 ish yard par three. And I did what guys who don't play very well did. I hit the ball and it kind of like, hit about 90 to 120 yards and it just sort of rolled up and we, I got close to the green, but it was mm -hmm. hardly a pretty shot. The other right. two guys, same thing. One went left, one went right. Couples comes up and he was the nicest man. And he takes this easy swing, probably with a nine iron and puts it, you know, five feet from the pin. Yeah. At no point did I feel like I shouldn't be playing with him because oh. he was making it fun. And that's yeah. just what he was. That's what he does. So when people like Louie play in a tournament, Ken Harvey said this to us when we talked with him, you know, a couple of years ago, that yeah. he's out there to have a good time and to make people remember that they had a good time with Ken Harvey. Because yeah. at some point in your life, if you're playing in a tournament in a certain city, you're probably going to run into them again. Yeah. So why not have a good time and, and you know, make a friend or make an acquaintance and that you could do business with or whatever? Yeah, and the last thing you want when someone mentions your name is him say, oh, "I played golf with him. He's a jerk." You know, you, you don't and, want and that he was good. He know? was a good golfer. Well, that comes back to the whole thing that I think I told you. My wife asked me when I was playing with a buddy. She goes, "So, what did you guys talk about?" And I said, <laughs> "A lot of times we just talked about the last shot we hit." Uh -huh. And she goes, "That's it." And I said, "No, sometimes we talk about the next shot." Yeah. <laughs> or what club to use and she said Bro. but you're with this guy for four hours and i was like yeah yeah you heard brian regan's bit about that i did that's one of my favorite bits <laughs> ever <laughs> what'd you talk about i know he's got a new driver <laughs> <laughs> well but is he okay is he dating how's he doing after the divorce how would i know something like that <laughs> Weren't you in the same cart with him? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Advice here from the approach shot. Don't feel like you need to talk it up. You know, yeah. tell some <laughs> jokes, talk about the last shot, talk about yeah. the next shot, talk about anything that you want to, but don't feel like you need to make that a therapy session. Exactly right. Exactly <laughs> right. Although after a round of golf, some of us need a therapy session, but that's, that's a totally different subject. That's exactly right. Talk about. Next week, we will have yet another stellar and luminary guest. I'm going to actually tease this. Usually we okay. just leave it generic like that. John and I feel differently about our guest next week. I okay. am a huge fan. Okay. John is less of a huge fan. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. he's associated okay. with the bachelor. And oh, so okay. I'm part of bachelor nation. Mm -hmm. I watch it every week. When Monday night football is on, I watch it and then like click back and forth and stuff. And even though I think that the bachelor series is repetitively 
heartbreaking and there's a lot of drama and there are a lot of people who end up not together and things like that. I can't stop watching it. So this person that Mm -hmm. we're going to have on next week, who is a golf fanatic, he is a fanatic, is associated with the Bachelor series. So if you are one of the people in Bachelor Nation, tell your friends, tell the, the people who might not listen to us when we interview a sports guy to listen, because you will want to hear this person talk about Bachelor Nation and golf. So Bachelor Nation, get ready. The approach shot goes batch next week. Oh, joy. Oh, bliss. I can hardly wait. (laughs) (laughs) I guess unless I can think of something more fun to do, I'll be here with you next week. We will be back next week right here with the approach shot. I'm Neil Michaels. I'm John Ashton. You've been listening to The Approach Shot with the Weekend Golf Guys. If you like this week's episode, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you download your podcasts. And find us on the web at ApproachShot.net.